Mustang is a special podcast production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Support for this series comes from Barbarian Brewing, who believes all it takes is a few untamed minds, a little elbow grease, and a few pints of beer to make true innovation happen. Boo and I are hanging out in my horse trailer because that's part of the process of getting him trained is the ability to move him when I need to in case there's a wildfire or whatever else, get him off the property and take him on adventures. And I'm watching him just like munch a giant bowl of grain because I want him to, you know, think this is a fun place to be and a good place to be inside the trailer. Um, And I'm thinking about how easy this horse has it now. Like, he has water whenever he wants from his little automatic waterer, and he's got grain every morning, and hay, basically as much hay as he can eat, and whatever grass he can find on his pasture. That's mostly sagebrush, but still, like, he's pretty much free to roam over, like, two to three acres of pasture and with his friend Pistol. For so many wild horses, this is not the life. (laughs) They are constantly looking for water that's disappearing in drier and drier parts of the West, and running out of forage and grazing as they compete with cattle and other animals, but also just drought and less, less growth. Um, and that makes life maybe a little harder for wild horses than it was when their numbers were smaller or when there were fewer other demands on the wild parts of the West where they live. Um, but I wonder if Boo had a choice if he'd choose this easy life or that wild, you know, survival of the fittest and thirsty and hungry um, existence that he had before. I guess at least he was with his family back then, and now he has a new family, me and Pistol. And he seems to be liking it so far. I don't know, it sounds pretty delicious. If you're enjoying Boo's story and you know a little person, maybe a niece or a nephew or a grandkid, who would also enjoy learning about wild horses through Boo and his journey, I've got a book for you. It's called The Little Black Mustang. I wrote it to accompany this podcast, and Katie Michael, the awesome artist who did the artwork for this series, illustrated it. You can get a copy at thelittleblackmustang.com. Again, it's thelittleblackmustang.com. This past spring, I attended the Society of Environmental Journalists Conference in Boise, Idaho. There were about 800 journalists there from all over the world. And at the big afternoon session, there was a speaker I was particularly eager to hear from. Tracy Stone Manning. She's the director of the Bureau of Land Management, which, of course, manages wild horses in the U.S. on public lands. Except in her talk, Stone Manning didn't mention wild horses once. So I went up afterwards and I asked her a question. The question. Can I just nag you for a quick question about the Wild Horse and Burrow program? Yes. Um, So numbers are like three times what your scientists say they should be, right? Um, What do you do? How do you get it into a sustainable level? I'm talking to ecologists who are saying it's a crisis on the ground, like the range ecologists. It's the same question I'm asking everyone. What do we do about all the wild horses we have in this country? 
But Tracy Stone Manning's answer, as the head of the BLM, is a really important one. In some places it is a crisis on the ground, which is why we have to really be focused about our work. Um, and so it, it comes with every tool that we've got in the toolbox, right? Some of that is taking horses, gathering horses and taking them off and adopting them out. Thank you for adopting a horse. Um, they make these incredible, um, just these incredible relationships across the country. Uh, last year we, we adopted out 7,000 horses, um, uh, but that's not enough, right? And so um, we also are uh, using fertility control where we can. Um, the science isn't uh, as good enough and as long-term enough as we need it on, on fertility, which is why we're working with uh, the research community to get us those long-term solutions. Um, you know, our, it's incumbent upon us. It's not right for the horses to be out on that landscape um, starving to death, and it's certainly not right for the landscape. Um, and, uh, and so what I hope people see is that we are genuinely trying to solve for the landscape and the future while we're also solving for the health of those animals. This answer might sound just like what you'd expect to hear from the head of a major government agency. It's a restatement of the party line from the BLM. They're doing everything they can, right? But it is hard to overstate how big a challenge the BLM is facing when it comes to wild horse management. Horses reproduce at 10 to 20 percent per year, depending on conditions. So a herd of 1,000 horses will increase to 1,200 in a year, and then be at 1,440 the year after that, and so on and so on. So this agency is in a race against time as wild horse populations continue to rise. Adopting horses out, to people like me, gets several thousand horses off the range every year. Fertility control, as she mentioned, is also part of the solution, and we're going to get into that in a minute. And then there are roundups. This has traditionally been the most efficient way to get large numbers of horses off the range. But if you ever want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole, type in Wild Horse Helicopter Roundup. The videos are hard to watch. The BLM uses helicopters to chase horses into corrals. They set up temporary fencing and the horses run to get away from the helicopter and before they know it, the gates close behind them. Foals get separated from their mothers, horses get caught in barbed wire sometimes, or they fight so hard once they're contained that they get hurt and they have to be put down. The BLM does its best to keep injuries and deaths to a minimum, but catching a thousand-pound wild animal, or dozens of them at a time for that matter, is dangerous work for humans and horses. Just about every time the BLM does a roundup, it's met with protests, online campaigns, and lawsuits. And it's not hard to see why. I was having a drink with a friend, actually at that same conference in Boise, and I was talking about wild horses, as I do probably way too much, and her eyes lit up, and she said she loved horses as a little girl. She grew up in Maryland, but she fell in love with the idea of wild horses in the West. So for her bat mitzvah, instead of gifts, she asked all her friends to sponsor a Mustang through an activist group. She'd never even seen a wild horse or spent time in wild horse country, but the group and its work protecting wild horses inspired her. It drew her in. And that's the case for people across the country who give millions of dollars to wild horse sanctuaries and advocacy groups. There are dozens of Mustang rescues out there, some more reputable than others. And there are dozens of wild horse advocacy groups who don't all necessarily get along, but they share a mission to stop roundups and force the government to basically leave wild horses alone. To me, it's criminal. Um, 
the way they're treated because they're they're raised as a family. The family band really means everything to them. They look out for each other. Shannon Windle is the president of the Hidden Valley Wild Horse Protection Fund in Reno, Nevada. The group opposes roundups and operates a horse sanctuary here in the hills north of the city, where she takes in horses who have been rounded up from the surrounding area. It's feeding time, and we're riding Shannon side by side through the herd at the sanctuary. There are horses of every color, age, and size coming up to us to say hello. This is the highlight of Shannon's day. Um, this girl is Maria. She's so sweet. You're just dumplings, aren't you? Oh, you know, puns. And that's her boyfriend, James. <laughs> and James will not go anywhere without Maria. <laughs> Hi, James. Hi, sweetie. There are about 160 horses here. They get two meals a day and plenty of water and vet care if they need it. But for the most part, they're left alone. Except when Shannon shows up to love on them, of course. Hi, Fred. Hi, sweetheart. So I gotta move because they will eat. <laughs> I'll show you my truck. It's they just an absolute disaster. They actually eat the trucks. I've got scratches where their teeth are on my gl- the glass of my windshield. And <laughs> they rub their butts on the, um, the side of the truck and dent it in. And but Shannon doesn't seem to mind. These horses, well, all wild horses, in fact, can do no wrong in her eyes. It's not their fault that they procreate, she says. And they're meant to live out their days with their families in the wild. In her book, rounding them up and breaking those family bonds is barbaric. BLM rounds up the, uh, the herd. They will separate out the stallions. They will geld the stallions. But that family is never put back together again. Um, and some of the mares it just end up in different pens and go off to different holding areas, short-term and then long-term. Um, so we know we've seen so many documented cases um, where the BLM has torn apart families. Shannon and other wild horse activists say the BLM is on a treadmill. Horse populations keep rising, then the BLM goes and does roundups, and that brings the population down for a bit, but inevitably it rises again. And that is what so many people are frustrated with the BLM about, because they won't get out of their shuffle. And they're they're not doing anything different from what... And what is the um, definition of insanity? Repeating the same thing and expecting same thing and expecting a different outcome. Shannon says it's time to embrace a new path. She and other activist groups are pushing for fertility control, basically administering birth control to the wild mares out on the range in order to reduce the number of babies they have each year. This, they believe, would make roundups unnecessary. I had to learn more. So after I left Shannon's place, I met up with some wild horse activists who are taking matters into their own hands. Uh, hopefully we're going to find some bands here with some mares that need to be darted that are due for their boosters. Um, and hopefully you'll get to see that happen. I'm in Tracy Wilson's SUV, driving around the Virginia Range. Those are the mountains that butt up against the suburbs of the rapidly growing city of Reno. 
Tracy is the Nevada State Director for the American Wild Horse Campaign, a Mustang activist group that has sued the BLM to stop roundups in the past. There are 3,500 horses roaming the dry sagebrush desert around here. That's way too many horses, according to the biologists I've interviewed. And these horses are a little less wild than they are in other parts of the West. They wander through housing developments on the outskirts of Reno, poop in people's yards, and from what I'm seeing today, they seem to like to hang out around the Reno dump. Tracy drives up the access road past a line of cars full of garbage to drop off. Now to convince all these people we're not trying to cut in front of you. We're really going to go the other way. (laughs) I can see horses lounging in the sun on the hillside surrounding the landfill, totally unconcerned by the garbage trucks rumbling by. Tracy pulls up next to a Jeep with two volunteers who are talking quietly as they get ready to try and dart a mare. She's about 80 yards away, grazing calmly with three other adults and one newborn foal. Terry, one of the volunteers, looks at the horses as she flips through a binder full of photographs. It's a sort of Facebook for the Virginia Range herd. So this is the stallion, Olympic. This Zara and that alerted ladybird both need boosters. Every horse here has a photo alongside a description of its markings, who it hangs out with, mates with, and if it's a mare, how many foals she's had and when she was last darted with birth control. Terry's 72, retired in Reno with her husband, and goes out darting horses four or five days a week. She's personally darted more than 1,300 horses here. She opens up a container with tiny vials of PZP. It's a fertility control vaccine derived from pig's ovaries. This is the most commonly used fertility control on wild horses and is approved by the National Academy of Sciences. The hydro flask keeps them frozen. They have to always be frozen. If they defrost, they're no good unless you're going to, so you can see it in there, it's all frozen up. So it takes about five minutes for this to melt out, usually in the hand. To keep a mare from getting pregnant, she needs an initial shot of PZP and then a booster every eight months for as long as she's fertile. A mare can be fertile for upwards of 15 years. So as you might imagine, that can be a really tough schedule to follow when you're chasing wild horses around the open range, trying to dart just about every female every eight months. And it doesn't always work. Take Ladybird, for example. That's the bay mare they're planning to dart today. This horse has had two previous doses of PZP. But she has a newborn baby nursing off of her right now. So that means either the birth control didn't take, or she may have gotten pregnant between booster shots. So today, Terry's fellow volunteer, Jen, is going to try to dart Ladybird again, in the hopes that she doesn't get pregnant again. Tell me what you're doing, Jen. So I just loaded the gun. Um, so the dart goes in like so. Um, I cannot tip this gun down now because it'll fall out. So my next thing is just to make my way up there and get myself close enough to take a shot. So I should stay back here. Jen has to get within 35 yards of Ladybird if she wants the dart to reach her. I stay by the Jeep so I don't mess up her shot. Yeah, this is the tricky part. slowly walking around. She's not making eye contact. She's not walking directly toward the horses. 
She's got her gun sort of behind her shoulder, behind her body, so the horses can't see. And honestly, they're not even looking at her. They're just grazing along the hillside. She's grazing, probably just watching her out of the side eye. Here comes a big old truck to the dump. is between the mare and Jen, which is probably making her pay a little more attention. But she still doesn't seem too concerned. These horses are so used to people. 10 or 15 minutes go by, and the horses go over a ridge, with Jen slowly following them about 20 paces away. Ladybird is keeping an eye on Jen, but really doesn't seem too concerned. Jen's trying to line up a shot without startling the herd, and Tracy and I walk up the hill so we can keep them in eye shot. Ladybird's foal lies down for a nap on the ground between her and Jen, and Jen moves closer. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, God, that's the shot. That's the shot, isn't it? She's got her butt to her. Come on. Oh, she needs to be at a right angle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's almost like she knows she's not going to hold still. Oh, oh babe, baby's up. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see Jen just looked at the sky? She's like, no. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Damn, so now they're on the move. The band starts walking away, Jen following behind. Ladybird seems to know what's up now, and she's staying just out of reach. Tracy and I are up on the ridge, looking down as all this plays out. And I'm still hung up on the fact that this mare, who's been darted twice already with PZP, has a baby at her side. How can this be working? Tracy says, don't get hung up on Ladybird. It's about looking at the numbers across the whole herd. You're not fixated on a single horse. You're fixated on, are we getting 70 to 80% of the breeding age mares covered? Because that gives you the flexibility of, oh yeah, a couple are going to have a breakthrough because they disappeared and we missed the opportunity to get a booster on time. And it's not the end of the world because you've got that percentage covered on the, on the range. So volunteers will go out year-round and try to dart all the mares of breeding age, so each mare gets birth control every eight months. And sure, there will be breakthroughs here and there. But Tracy says they're slowing the growth rate of this herd. From the year-end 2020, which was our first full year of the program, to the year-end 2022, we reduced birth rate by 61%. This is a way to reduce the population. It's going to take a little longer, but we're going to reduce that population, and now we can control how many foals are being born. Biologists say the Virginia range should have about 250 horses on it. Right now, there are more than 10 times that amount. So I wondered if what Tracy is saying is true, that using fertility control can bring the population down to target levels without doing roundups, How long would that take? Now, I'm not a population biologist, so I asked Mike Cox for some help. He's the biologist you heard in the previous episode who was talking about ecosystem collapse in Nevada from all the horses. He's been studying populations of mule deer, bighorn sheep, and other animals for the past 30 years for the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I asked him to run some numbers. What I took is the population model that we've been using for over 20 years to model all of our big game herds. Mike started the model with 3,000 horses, which is probably a bit less than what's actually on the Virginia range right now. 
Then he factored in natural death from predators, old age, lack of food or water, that sort of thing, which is about 10% per year. And then he took the natural fertility rate in his model and he reduced it by 61%. That's to reflect what Tracy was saying about the success she and her volunteers have had in reducing the annual full birth rate since they started the darting program. So he plugged all that in, and the model spat out the year, at which point the Virginia herd would be reduced to the target number of 250 horses, assuming the volunteers keep at it. And event, it would eventually go to 250 by year 21-26. So we've got 100 years, basically, before this gets even close to the 250 target, you're saying? Yes, Mike says the problem is we don't have 100 years to get horse herd sizes under control. The ecosystem can't hang on that long. Okay, but let's get back to the action. Jen is still walking slowly around the herd, trying to get a shot at Lady Bird with her dart gun. The mare is within range. She's maybe 25 or 30 yards from Jen. And Tracy and I are up on the ridge watching Jen below us with the herd. The foal is finally out of the way, and this could be Jen's chance. Oh my gosh, that looks like a good shot. Come on, Jen. Okay, here we go. She's got her gun down. The mare's right broadside. And there you go. She get her? Yep. And so Lady Bird and her baby are walking off down the road, and (laughs) Lady Bird's baby will not have a baby sister or brother next year. Jen picks up the empty dart and walks up the ridge to join us. The whole process took about 45 minutes, start to finish. Go, Jen! Yay! (laughs) Can I I tell us, can you just give us the play-by-play of what just happened? Maybe catch her breath first. She just she just climbed up a really steep hill. Let me just catch my breath a second. (laughs) Well, the challenges were, she had a baby who wanted to stay on the same side that's where I was. <laughs> so every time, first off, the challenge was getting close enough. I was trying to get like 30-ish. Yeah. And had the gun already preset for that. So that makes it kind of, you got to jump on it if you can just have it ready. And every time I'd start to get there, baby would show up. <laughs> or she'd have her butt to me. And then once the, lead, the band stallion walked between us when I thought I had a shot over there. So it just, it was yeah. just patience. You know, and you just keep kind of hanging out and wait until you can finally get her turned sideways and no one's around, you know, which finally happened. I can see how happy Jen is, standing there, catching her breath on that ridge, knowing that she's playing her own small role in solving a very large problem. The truth is, though, that there are more than 80,000 wild horses in the West, and I've seen the country where many of them live. It is far more remote than this range outside of Reno. Mike and other biologists and BLM employees I talked to told me that darting mares isn't really feasible at the scale you'd need to do it in much of wild horse country. There aren't roads for easy access, the horses are way more afraid of humans than they are here outside of Reno, and there aren't enough volunteers around to do the darting, even if you could get close to the horses. In the past few years, the BLM has substantially increased its budget for the fertility control program and is darting more horses, especially in smaller herds that are closer to target levels. 
But folks I've spoken with in the BLM darting program say it's having very limited success, and it would be both expensive and difficult to implement it across all the herds in the West. Tracy Stone Manning, the head of the BLM, told me the government is not going to stop rounding up horses anytime soon. And they're going to keep using helicopters to do it. It's the fastest way to get a lot of horses off the range, she said. So the battle will continue. Wild horse advocates like Shannon will keep operating sanctuaries to provide a soft landing for horses that are rounded up. Tracy Wilson and the American Wild Horse Campaign will keep suing the BLM and organizing online protests and opposition to roundups. And volunteers like Terry and Jen will keep darting mares with birth control. Maybe they'll get a few more mares today. Other volunteers will go out tomorrow and the next day. They'll check their Wild Horse Facebook to see how many more need their birth control shot. They'll just keep at it year after year, Jen told me, doing their best to make this herd in their part of the world as healthy as it can be. You know, what is, what is the old adage, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right? It's, yeah. That's kind of what this is. It's, you just you do what you can, and every little bit helps. So you just keep doing it. Just kind of like climbing this hill. Every step gets you closer to the top. Next episode, horses are entwined with Native American history in the West. They were the key for many nations to resisting settlement and fighting back against the U.S. cavalry. So one strategy the military used, kill Native American horses. That was just part of the, you know, the, the genocide. But we survived and we're still here and we still have our horses. How are Native Americans managing their wild horses today? We're heading to the Spokane Reservation in northeastern Washington to learn more. This episode was recorded in the Great Basin on the occupied territories of indigenous people. The state of Nevada consists of 27 federally recognized tribes from four nations. The Numu, or Northern Paiute, the Western Shoshone, the Washishu, or Washoe, and the Nuwu, Southern Paiute. Mustang is edited and sound designed by Liza Yeager. Art for the series is by Katie Michael. Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts.